0: This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Harry's. For guys who want a great shave experience for a fraction of what you're paying now, just in time for Father's Day, get $5 off the limited edition Father's Day set by entering the code FOOL when you check out at harrys.com. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, June 10th, and we're talking tech and video games. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined in the studio by Motley Fool Premium Analyst, David Kretzman. David, how's it going? It's great to be here, Dylan. Thanks for having me. Nice to have you on the show. I don't think we've ever done anything together. No, I'm a a big fan, a big listener, so thanks for having me on. It's an honor. So We're going to be talking video games today, and before we dive into the companies, I have to ask, did you have a favorite video game growing up? So, growing up, uh, my family didn't have any
1: of the fancy consoles, so I never had a PlayStation or an Xbox. I would have to go over to a friend's house to play that. But on our Windows 95 computer, and we kept this computer specifically for these two games, I played Road Rash and then Warcraft two Special Edition, Tides of Darkness. So, th- those
0: were the two games I played in my own house on a somewhat regular basis. Uh, so, I was raised in a very similar household, where my parents told me like we're not buying you a video game if a uh, console if you want one you have to buy it yourself. And mm-hmm. so eventually I saved up and got enough for the PS2. So like that was my console. That was like Good my baby you. as a kid. But when but when you're young you're just like boy I really hope I have a sleepover sometime soon. Like, <laughs> yeah. I really want to go to that guy's house who has the Xbox. Yeah, some popular friends on the block. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um so that that Warcraft reference is a nice transition in one of the companies we're going to be talking about but before we get too far into the stocks uh, that we'll be discussing on today's show, I figure we'll set a little groundwork here for what the gaming industry looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just going to throw out a couple different estimates of market size I've seen lately. So, digital gaming was a 60-plus billion-dollar market last year, and that was actually led by PC gaming, mm-hmm. which is uh, kind of surprising. You know, you hear all of this about the death of PCs, or the rise of the tablets, or the you know multi-capable devices switch over to mobile. Uh, PC gaming still leading the charge there. Uh, the worldwide mobile gaming market is a high twenty billion dollar market, and I've seen projections that that will hit forty five billion dollars by twenty eighteen. Mm-hmm. So, just to give you an idea of kind of where this market's going, some big growth expected, and not necessarily from the areas that you might be expecting it. Right? Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, a lot
1: of different um, uh, growth arenas uh, in this space. And to give some additional context, uh, ten years ago, uh, there were two hundred million players, two hundred million gamers. Five years ago, that increased 1.5 billion, and most recently, the the most recent number I've seen is 2.6 billion gamers worldwide. So you're seeing more and more gamers, more and more platforms that people can play the games on. So a lot of growth happening in this space, and there have been a lot of great investments in it over the past five, 10 years. And I think some of the names we'll talk about
0: today, you know, there, there's a lot of potential there for investors going forward as well. So the big two names, as, at least as far as I'm concerned, in the video game market, Activision, Blizzard and Electronic Arts. Mm-hmm. Um, these are both video game publishers. Activision's made shareholders pretty happy over the last couple of years. Um, they've got some big-time franchises under the, their belt, uh, World of Warcraft, Call of Duty. Uh, electronic Arts. Most of the people know them for their sports games. Uh, they're trying to move beyond that a little bit right now. Mm-hmm. You want to start out with Activision? Talk a little bit about what they're doing. Let's do it. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, as you mentioned,
1: Activision, uh, they, they have uh, the number one console franchise, which is Call of Duty. So, this is a franchise that's been out for. About a decade, I think a little more than a decade. I think twelve years, uh, and you know, each year or so, they'll issue a new iteration of that franchise, an extension, a different version, uh, and it's been just an amazing seller for the company. Uh, similarly, with uh, PC gaming, you have World of Warcraft, which has been uh, just a juggernaut of, of a game. Where it's actually a subscription model, so you pay a monthly subscription, um, and and you can play in this kind of online fantasy world with your friends and other players around the world. Um, and uh, Warcraft, the the most recent numbers that I saw, there's still more than five million uh, players uh, with, with Warcraft. So uh, Activision, uh, a, a massive company in this space, it's the largest video game uh, software publisher in the world. Uh, last year, and we'll talk about this more, I'm sure they they acquired uh, King Digital, which is uh, a large uh, mobile game operator. So. By bringing King Digital under its umbrella, Activision now has more than 500 million monthly active users uh, through all of its different uh, games and platforms. So that's that—that's a, a user base that's rivaled, you know, by only a, a few companies out there, like Facebook, YouTube, you know, some juggernaut brands out there. So Activision has a huge audience. To give you another pretty staggering number, over the past year, audiences spent. 42 billion hours playing and watching Activision's games. So, they have
0: a lot, of, a lot of people paying a lot of attention to their games. So, I think one of the key things to hone in on there is watching, mm-hmm. hearing you say that. Because, something that some of our listeners might not be as familiar with is the rise of what we're calling eSports now. Mm-hmm. So, there is the conventional gaming market where you have people buying titles, either physically or digitally playing them they're in game purchases in some cases mm-hmm. um, but there's also this transition to a space in the industry where there's money to be made by selling video game uh, experiences as sporting events right? yeah
1: no there, there, there've already been uh, and this is a concept that's popular internationally and it's becoming more common domestically as well but especially in China and Asia in um, Europe uh, eSports has been a rising phenomena. Uh, but you're even seeing like dedicated stadiums built for people to watch the elite gamers play a video game. Um, so it's really the idea like you know you have the NBA where the National Basketball Association where you see the elite gamers, uh, the the elite basketball players play in this similar way. Esports is kind of this um, this league um, or this platform where you can watch the top tier gamers play. Some pretty amazing uh, statistics here. So. In 2015, the the second most viewed sporting event uh, in the world, only behind the Super Bowl, was the League of Legends World Championship, which had 36 million viewers. That's ahead of Game 6 of the NBA Finals, which had Steph Curry and LeBron James, like the best basketball players in the world. They had 29 million viewers. Um, the World Series final game last year had 17 million viewers. So, 36 million people watched you know, a World Championship with League of Legends, a video game. So, that gives you an idea of, just a staggering global audience for people who are actually sitting down and watching elite gamers play. So th- it's still something I'm, I'm personally still trying to wrap my head around. We have some gamers at the Fool who do spend time watching these uh, tournaments and watching the elite players play, um, but th- this is certainly a-, a driving force with the industry. And uh, you have both Activision Blizzard and Electronic Arts, then other players even like Amazon with Twitch, with the acquisition they made a couple years ago. YouTube uh, is is spending more time streaming these uh, gaming tournaments. You're seeing a lot of big players uh, make a concentrated, uh, concerted effort uh,
0: to uh, dive into eSports and really drive that movement. So, it's certainly something to watch. I think one of the things that's particularly compelling with eSports is Whereas you know, with live sports, you are in a lot of ways selling tickets. I mean, there are instances where you're at a stadium and there are probably tens of thousands of people watching something. Mm-hmm. But um, this is a very scalable and online production for the people that are putting it on, right? So, it, it's kind of a digital pass type approach. and. That's something that scales incredibly well when you're talking about porting it out online or trying to sell some sort of subscription service to it. Right, Absolutely. And you even are seeing
1: some uh, traditional networks like ESPN and TBS broadcasting some of these uh, gaming tournaments. But by and large, this is something that's happening online. So, it's still a question of, you know, how do you gain advertisers and sponsors for something like this? There hasn't been anything quite like this that we've seen. Um, but I think a great example of you know the resources are being uh, that companies are putting behind this. Uh, let's go with Activision Blizzard. So in October of 2015, you know less than a year ago, they announced that they're creating um, kind of an independent esports division. Uh, and the, the person they brought on to, to head up that division is Steve Bornstein, who uh, was formerly the head of ESPN and the NFL Network. So he, he's someone who knows a thing or two about sports broadcasting. So they're bringing in a big gun from ESPN and the NFL Network to head up esports. And uh, Bobby Kodak, the CEO of Activision Blizzard, he says he wants Activision to be the ESPN of esports. Um, so we're still in the early phases of this happening. Uh, you know that esports division again was only created less than a year ago. Um, but then two months after that, Electronic Arts announced that it's launching a competitive gaming division. So kind of a similar division to what uh, Activision is doing. And then, like I said, you have Amazon with Twitch, where a lot of um, these games and tournaments are live streamed, and similar with YouTube. Um, so, so, you're seeing uh, a, a lot of big companies uh, put a, a good amount of resources uh, behind this space and bringing in talent from the traditional sports broadcasting world
0: into this esports world. So, you're seeing a blurring of the lines there. Wow. Uh, so, one of the other major catalysts I see for both of these companies is the idea of extending their existing franchises or possibly even licensing out their franchises. We've seen, mm-hmm. uh, we've definitely seen Activision Blizzard do this a bit in the past with World of Warcraft. It sounds like their strategy might be shifting a little bit uh, with that. Yeah, so backing up a little bit,
1: uh, you know, ten years ago, when you bought a game, you would, you know, pick up, you know, the, the case off the shelf. You would install it on your computer or your respective console, and then you would play it. You know, maybe five or six months. You get tired of the game, you move on. Now, both both for Activision and Electronic Arts, uh, they, they make more than half their revenue through digital sales. So rather than going to the store and buying the copy, oftentimes you can just download a game. Online onto your console onto your PC, play the game. But the life of these franchises uh, is now being extended thanks to uh, these digital purchases or microtransactions within the game. So it's it's no longer just a case where a customer is making a one-time purchase of a game. You might buy the game and then. Uh, after you accomplish so much within the game, uh, suddenly you have the opportunity to pay maybe three dollars to open up another map in the game you 're playing, or maybe you want to buy a certain jersey for for your nBA team or your FIFA team. There are all sorts of these different micro transactions um, so you 're seeing with these video game companies it 's no longer the one time purchases but they 're stretching out the life of their franchises and that turns out that digital revenue is its higher margin for the company it stabilizes their cash flow production so it's really it's appealing for, for investors and it's appealing for gamers too because you're you're able to really engage with a game in a new way. So you have have these companies. I know Electronic Arts has especially made a, a concerted effort. They're they're almost releasing daily or weekly updates to some of these games, not just on mobile but on other platforms. So the game is really kind of a a living entity now. It's not just this one time thing that you purchase it's something that you can engage with for a very long time so that's certainly uh, an important shift that's that's been happening in this space and it's likely uh, to continue going forward
0: and one of the things that we've seen in uh, on Activision's side at least is the idea of these properties having value outside of the game themselves i mean mm-hmm. we look at the world of warcraft movie which Activision, and we'll see how that does. We'll see how but, it does. Yeah, it is but, coming out. But the idea <laughs> that um, they are able to take what it was a game and was on a gaming platform and bring it out to a mass audience in the form of a movie, right? And you
1: know, video games up to this point they have been sort of infamous, infamous for not transferring well, you know, to to the movie screen. And in the case of Warcraft, which has got it's received mixed reviews up to this point, that wasn't actually um, created in house um, by Activision. It was licensed out, I believe, to Universal. Um, But uh, similarly, uh, last year Activision actually created a movie and TV production studio, and um, they have a guy heading it up who spent nine years at Disney as a senior vice president. Uh, The guy heading it up. Nick Van Dyke, I believe, is his name. Um, he 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 was a, a, a key player at Disney for the acquisitions of uh, Marvel, Pixar, and Lucasfilm. Uh, so Activision is now they're they're making an effort again, similar to what they're doing in esports. They have a new division for movie and TV production, where. They're acknowledging that they have this extensive library of intellectual property and the, these very vibrant game franchises that have done very well for more than a decade, like Warcraft and Call of Duty. So, one of the early projects for this uh, production studio is creating a cinematic universe for Call of Duty. So we'll see if uh, you know this studio can kind of break the curse uh, that's uh, fallen on on video games when they when people try to to make a movie out of them. Um, but it's Kind of a similar approach to what you've seen uh, Disney take. Uh, Activision, in a lot of ways, is kind of becoming a mini Disney with what they're doing because they're trying to, you know, they they they're trying to have the broadcasting platform with esports. They're they, they, obviously they have the games, kind of the, the core franchises there, but now they're trying to extend those franchises, you know, to movies and TV shows. So uh, when you look at Activision, I I, I see them as. Uh, Kind of taking a similar strategy to maybe what Disney was doing 15 years ago. It Doesn't mean that Activision will be, you know, as successful or as big as Disney. Perhaps one day. Um, but I, I think it's interesting to kind of compare um, Activision's strategy to what we saw from Disney
0: years or decades ago. Okay. So the franchises and esports, two major catalysts to watch for gaming stocks. Uh, you mentioned the move to digital. I think that actually poses a risk, a little bit of a risk for some of these video game companies. We're going to talk about that on the second half of the show. Great. Before we do. Uh, This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Harry's. Father's Day is coming soon and dads, brothers, and grandfathers can be tough to shop for. Thankfully, Harry's has got you covered. While supplies last, Harry's is offering a special limited edition set for Father's Day. The set includes a matte black razor handle, chrome razor stand, moisturizing foaming shave gel, three handcrafted blade cartridges, and a travel cover, all for $40. Plus, it comes with a sleek, giftable box with the option to add a custom engraving and a personalized card. Even better, the giftable set can be shipped directly to your door. Now, Vincent Shen hinted on the CG show a little bit earlier in the week. I decided to give Harry's a little a whirl this week since we were promoting it on the show. Uh, I am currently sporting, and you can agree or disagree here, David, uh, what I can best describe as a face for radio. Uh, not because I nicked myself shaving, but <laughs> Harry's blades are actually pretty nice, pretty comfortable, they give you a nice clean shave, uh, but because of the arrangement of my facial hair. What do you think? It's glorious. Yeah, it's Sort of like a question mark on your face. Yeah, like an upside-down swirl question mark. Right. It's great. Glorious. <laughs> uh, listeners might not know this, but I've had a light beard the entire time I've been, been at The Fool. Uh, since Harry's was sponsoring the show, I decided to have some fun here at HQ. told co-workers that if they raised a certain amount of money, I'd shave my beard into whatever configuration they wanted and keep it for three days. Wound up raising over 700 bucks for Pencils of Promise, which is a fool favorite uh, charitable organization. And I'm currently sporting what some people call a monkey tail beard. Uh, <laughs> if you want to see it, we're going to tweet a photo on the industry focus account on Twitter. Point is, this is the first time I've used a razor in years, and it was pretty painless. Hairy stuff is great. There's a nice feel to the razor, and the shave cream smells absolutely fantastic. Uh, best part is, their kits come in about half as much as other razor brands, so why pay 32 bucks for an eight-pack of blades? We can get them for half the price at harrys.com. If you want to check them out, go to harrys.com, redeem a <coughs> special offer for fans of the show. Uh, Harry's will give you $5 off your first purchase with the promo code FOOL. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Enter code FOOL at checkout and get $5 off. Of course, you can get your dad something he'll actually use this Father's Day. Thank you, Harry's, for your promotion and support of Industry Focus. So, David, back for the second half of the show, talking video game stocks, you mentioned in the first half the idea of this transition to digital, that there is not the physical case and disc that you're picking up at mm-hmm. your GameStop or something like that to be able to play these games. Uh, that leads this to being, in some ways, a very high-margin business to be in. right? You're eliminating all the physical stuff that goes into the product. I'm a little worried that that lowers the barrier to competition a little bit.
1: No, that, that that's certainly right. I think that's a great way to put it. And- Another way to frame it is that the switching cost for customers is much lower than it was ten years ago. When it comes to a game, because ten years ago, again, you go to the store, you pick it up off the shelf, you have the game on your shelf, you you'll you'll play it. You would have to go back out, you know, to get a game if you want to, you know, switch to to a different game to play. But especially with with mobile and then this digital transformation in general, you know, if you're on your phone it, it takes you what 30 seconds to download a game you can play it you can fiddle around with it for you know maybe 20 30 minutes if that if you're not happy with it you know wor- worst case scenario you know you just leave it on your phone you don't open it for six months and you forget oh I had I downloaded bejeweled you know <laughs> a year ago uh, or it but then it, it's painless to just uninstall that game and just install another game so certainly the switching costs are very low for for customers and uh, especially on on that mobile platform, you're seeing a trend where you're it's really a freemium experience. So you're not even paying anything necessarily up front to to play the game. Um, so that that mobile model it is more challenging uh, because you, you recognize that the majority of people who play a game on on a mobile app. Are not going to pay anything, so you're betting on that small fraction, maybe one or two percent of the really power users who are going to be spending half the day on the game. They're going to be buying, you know, uh, buying different credits and stuff to progress through the game. So that that's a more challenging model, and uh, it, th- there there have certainly been um, a, a lot of risks that, that that come with that. So yeah, that 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 transition to to mobile and digital, I, I agree, it does have more risks. It it, uh, it pressures the companies like uh, Activision and uh, Electronic Arts. They have to engage with their users much more regularly than launching a game every year or two, which is what they're doing maybe ten years ago. Now, you know, as I said with Electronic Arts, it's not uncommon for them with their popular games to be releasing daily or weekly updates. So. Companies that can make that transition, they should do well. But um, it, it, it's on them to to maintain that engagement with uh, customers. And companies that don't do that are probably going to have a, a difficult time because you know competition can swoop in much more easily now than five or ten years ago.
0: Yeah, and on the note of staying relevant, I think another one of the major risks with these types of businesses is that. They're you know being a video game publisher is a lot like being a movie studio, right? You need Mm -hmm. to keep pumping out hits. Right. Um, Luckily for both of these companies, they have very established, rooted franchises that they've been able to milk for quite some time. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's amazing the grapple that EA has had on sports games. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, but
1: but even even so, like obviously, um, EA they they've done a, a great job, especially with their FIFA and Madden franchises, and they have other sports franchises that have done really well. But then within the past five years or so, you have this small up smaller company, Take Two Interactive, which comes out with uh, NBA Two K, which is now the dominant uh, game uh, in, in for basketball video games, for, for at least for the NBA. So even in the case with EA. You know, you have a dominant market position. Like they, they control the vast majority of that market share of sports video games. But even them, you know, if, if they get complacent and they're not putting the energy into a game and making it player friendly and making it what players want, you know, that that opens up uh, the, the the door for uh, competitors. So. You know but but for uh, EA and Activision certainly they, they have these dominant franchises and so long as they can uh, continue to update them and keep them relevant for people they should do well um, go, going back to, to mobile and just an example of I think Electronic Arts they've, they've managed to do pretty well with some of their mobile games they have uh, Madden NFL mobile games they also have uh, a lot of the Disney license their Star Wars games to uh, Electronic Arts. Uh, so, the uh, Star Wars uh, mobile game that Electronic Arts has, in the most recent quarter, the average player of that Star Wars mobile game spent two hours a day on that game. Wow. That's the average player. You know, that's not just the top tier, that's the average player. So. You know, Electronic Arts is—they—they uh, they have found different ways to really break into that market. Monetizing it is another story, but at least having that engagement—that's the first step. <clears throat> Anytime you go to a new platform, you—you want to have that engagement. Then the the monetization will will come after that. The engagement is the first step. Then monetization will come. So, it's an interesting space to watch. But so far, both these companies, kind of in their their own ways, have have found ways to transition nicely to that digital model. But. Anytime that your margins are ticking up, like both these companies, you're inevitably going to attract new competitors. So that'll be the thing to watch in the coming years. Yeah, was it Jeff Bezos that said, "Your margins are my opportunity." Exactly. <laughs> so, so there's a big, growing target on the backs of both these companies, and it, it, it'll be interesting to see how they fend off uh, competitors, whether they a- acquire new new uh, new games or acquire new companies to re- better reach customers on these platforms or license new games and franchises, they have different opportunities, and both these companies are flush with cash and producing a lot of free cash flow, and their margins are very strong. So, They have the resources, and it's really just a matter of how effectively they allocate that capital to strengthen their competitive position, invest in the games, invest in that player engagement. If they can do that effectively, they should be able to grow for a long time. But if they get complacent, and just sit on their cash and you know put their feet up on the table and sit back, you know that they, they, they could lose that competitive position pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. And so uh, the two giants in the space, Activision and EA, a little bit different as company profiles. A little bit more uh, growth priced into Activision at the moment. Mm-hmm. They also have a like 0.7% dividend yield. Yep, just kind of dividend. Yeah, yeah. So it's there. It's not big, but it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, EA is a little bit more, um, more more moderate growth expectations for them. One in particular that you
1: like more. I, I honestly like both these companies. I personally own. Uh, Shares of both of them. I think if you were only going to pick one, Activision would probably be the one I'd lean toward, just because I I like how they're making uh, these different efforts with uh, mobile games, esports, and that movie and TV studio. They they have different. I think they have more growth avenues beyond just the the game franchises, Um, and that's more the model that EA is focusing on. And and they've done a good job with that. They've really turned that company around over the past three to four years. Um, The new CEO. Um, at Electronic Arts, he's a young Aussie, uh, Andrew Wilson. He's uh, in his 40s. He's done a great job turning around that company and the culture. But I think if you had to pick one, Activision just has a more diversified line, not only of franchises but also of different uh, divisions with esports, movies, and TV, uh, all, all those things. And it's run by Bobby Kotick, who's just been a wonderful CEO. Um, So, I think it's hard to go wrong with either of these companies, but if I had to pick one, I would probably lean toward toward Activision at this point. Awesome,
0: David. Thank you for your thoughts. Thanks for having me, Dylan. It's a pleasure. Well, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or just want to reach out and say hey, shoot us an email at fool.com, or you can tweet at us at mfindustryfocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes. You can also check us out on Spotify or go and access The Fool's family of shows at fool.com. podcasts As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For David Kretzmann, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on!